Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name is Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? It's good. I'm kind of having deja vu, though. <laughs> Haven't we done this before? Yes. So today we're talking about devotion, but it's not just any episode where we talk about devotion because <laughs> we already did one. We're doing devotion, the game of the year edition. <laughs> Brought to you by piracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we did an episode about the makers of Devotion, Red Candle Games. This was earlier this year when we were like, hey, maybe this game will still come out. And that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, nope. So in that episode, we didn't have any spoilers. We didn't even really talk about it that much. We sort of just gave an overview we mostly mm. talked about the political situation surrounding the game, mm-hmm. uh, which hasn't changed, actually, sadly. But so when we were kind of doing our Games of the Year wrap-up thing, I realized that for me personally, this was like 100% my Game of the Year, 2019. Mm. Nothing else even really came close for me. Wow. Um, I'm going to talk about why. But that's just the way it is. So I was like, hey, James, can we do a game of the year edition explicitly referencing that awful Batman game of the year edition that has all the 10 out of 10s and shit like awkwardly photoshopped over Batman's face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what this is. It's a cover of Devotion with just a bunch of pull quotes from me. Yeah, from from our podcast. <laughs> but they're all attributed individually to Zero Brightness Podcast. <laughs> and it, it's uh it's printed on like low quality paper because this game has been re- recalled. Oh, so yeah. it, this is like the copy find at the flea market. Yeah, this is like a blurry backroom printout awkwardly inserted into a generic DVD case that has nothing inside of it. <laughs> It's got a link to mega upload (laughs) (laughs) written on notebook paper on the inside of the DVD case. Yup. Mega upload dot (laughs) NZ. Yeah. Anyway, before we get too deep into it, as always, this episode is brought to you by you, a surprising number of you who have signed up recently. What happened? <laughs> and if you'd like to join the join the ranks of people who pay us to do this, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. Um, we super appreciate all the patrons. We got some new ones. Well, we do an episode a week of this show. Mm-hmm. And if you give us a dollar or more, you get another show every week. But yeah. So patreon.com slash zero brightness. Also zero brightness is a club. Uh, We tell you at the end of each episode, what we're going to play next. So you can play along with us. If you'd like, you can also hop in the discord, which has a game club channel. You can talk to us about games you're playing, you know, for the show, not for the show, whatever. It's all a good time. Mm -hmm. Talk about movies and stuff too. Oh, yeah. James posted a whole GD essay about uh, Eyes Wide Shut today. Yeah, I had some deep shower thoughts on that one. (laughs) Yeah. I might do the same for this crazy anime movie I watched this morning if anyone else watches it. It's called Angel's Egg. Holy shit, man. Sick. I didn't know they laid eggs. (laughs) They do now. (laughs) Sick. Okay. So, Devotion. 
Um, All right. A couple like house cleaning things with devotion. Uh, If you want to hear us talk a lot about the context of the game and the political situation surrounding the game, you should go listen to the red candle games episode. That one is also spoiler free for this game. It does have spoilers for detention. Mm -hmm. uh, Their other game, but it's a really good episode. I've, it's one of my favorites that we've done. And, and I mean, with their situation, shit ain't changed. Like, yeah. So it's that's, just been radio silence from Red Candle Games. Yes. So that's the other thing. I mean, we are going to rehash some of these points a little bit, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, basically, this game had a piece of art in it that was degrading to the Chinese government, I guess. And so China completely fucked them. Uh, they had like their business license revoked. They were under like constant attack and threat on the internet. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like a scary situation. And yeah, like James said, just total silence from them. They resurfaced a couple times just to give quick email replies to journalists. And yeah, like nothing happened. Uh, still in limbo. I mean, hopefully we'll hear from them again, but like who knows? Yeah. I will say, just ethically, I have no problems with pirating this. Oh, yeah. Because you can't get it. So, shout out to Codex, the 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 cracking scene group that cracked it and put it out there on the internet. You can find it. Just Google Devotion Codex, and you'll find it. Yeah, for sure. going to put that out there. Oh, totally. Yeah. As I did in the other episode, I encourage everybody to pirate this game because fuck this shit. Like, <laughs> this whole situation left me really angry for a couple of reasons. Number one, like, fuck the Chinese government. The Chinese government, like, <laughs> actively... I mean, they have tons of human rights violations. They oppress their own people. But they also, like, really limit and control how people can access the internet and when they can access the internet and what they can do on the internet. So mm-hmm. whenever you see, whenever I see something that's like, oh, like all these Chinese nationals are like going after this company, I firstly think it's all bullshit. I think it's just the government orchestrating like, oh, totally this shit. And also it's bullshit because it's like there's huge swaths of this giant country that don't even have access to this. And this isn't even like a part of their lives. And yet the government uses it as like a means of control. Um, mm-hmm. So fuck that a lot. Number two, like fuck the press and gamers um (laughs) fuck these people because everybody gets like everybody basically like completely shits their pants whenever there's a new like loot box scandal quote unquote yet nobody will talk about it there's a developer that for all we know are in like fucking prison camps like we don't know what the fuck happened to these people it's like the scariest craziest political thing that's happened in games also like i fucking have predicted multiple times on this show the next thing that happened regarding china totally took the stage and the spotlight away from this issue and this is like Mm -hmm. the actual big issue because devotion is a political game explicitly so is detention red candle games make really beautiful artistic games that also have very strong socio-political messages they're not as like boneheaded as like china bad or something like that but like (laughs) yeah there is a critique there like an open critique and it's actually done really well and very artful and it's like instead of trying to support this developer and these creators people are just like mad about nothing 
sure. And it's also like the next big scandal. Sorry, I know I'm like totally just ranting here, but the next big scandal that came along was the fucking Blizzard shit, which also, as I predicted, was literally mm-hmm. just people like, Blizzard bad. And then Blizzard was like, oh, but we're making Diablo 4. And then everyone was like, Blizzard good. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. There's like people are dissecting like which, you know, like what minority characters are in Overwatch. It's like, fuck you and fuck Overwatch. What the fuck are you doing? It's made by fucking bootlicking pieces of shit. Are you right. fucking kidding me? Well, and yeah, everybody was super anti-Epic because China. And then, you know, it just came out last week that China surpassed any other market for Steam. Uh, yeah. So, like, I mean, Valve's not going to do anything that's going to, you know, conflict with 51% of their business. Yeah, exactly. And it, and the crazy thing, though, like, the crazy thing <laughs> is that I don't even feel like people are asking them to do that. People right. are literally yeah. just asking them to say, like, to just reinforce what their values are mm-hmm. and just to be vocal about where their values are. Well, and just to be clear, it's not just gaming either. Like Disney, like D blacks, it's movie posters and shit for oh, the yeah. Chinese audience. Mm-hmm. Like it, Google uh, Chinese black, uh, black Panther poster. And they like put a mask over the black guy, uh, the black main character, you know? Yeah. And they did the same for uh, the new Star Wars movies. They took the black character off the poster. Yeah. Well, and they recut movies and like do all this crazy shit. And it's like no one. I mean, because that's the thing is like when you talk about other countries as like a whole country, right? Like when you say China, the thinking person is not just assuming that everybody in China is the same person, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, that there's a shitty, like there's the same for every country. There's a shitty, horrible government that is Mm -hmm. trying to exploit and oppress its people. And then there are fucking people and the people are just people. There's good ones. There's bad ones. They're just fucking people. And so it's like, if international corporations are, you know, wanting to go into a market to, sell things to people that's fine because ultimately there is a good that can come from that like that's cultural exchange and you hope that Mm -hmm. you can maybe influence other societies in a positive way by having cultural exchange however if you're scrubbing all your shit and like totally renouncing all your values and hiding anything good that you could exchange with another culture in order to appease their shitty government all, you, all you're doing is going in there and spreading capitalism, which is like the fucking worst. Yeah. So like, it's like, what? It, yeah. If, if if taking black people off posters in America is racist, why is it not racist when you do it in China? Like, yeah, the standard still stands everywhere. It's yeah. not just because you go over a border and that doesn't make it racist. Right. Exactly. And it's like in smaller markets, like you see this, like smaller markets who who aren't worth being catered to, you see this happen where like other culture and media comes in. And so people slowly get used to seeing other things and other types of experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And you can basically like subconsciously change people's minds about things. However, if you're just always catering to like that mindset, which once again is either like based on like shitty old cultural practices or a shitty oppressive government or whatever, like Mm -hmm. you're never going to change anything like 
you know, it's like imagine if other countries wouldn't import or export movies like to America that were critical of like things that America has done or attitudes that American people have. Sure. Like that would be horrible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cause I'm including America in this conversation. America is a shitty fucking terrible country with a horrible, horrible oppressive government and a bunch of really, really terrible, awful, deeply held cultural practices that all need to be scrubbed completely. Right. Yeah, well, it's it's problematic because it's like deeply ingrained in our culture and people don't see it. You know? Right, but even like through like mainstream art, like people can interface with each other. Like people sure. liking K-pop is like ultimately like positive because you're getting people who maybe don't even like have never met a Korean person, know nothing about Korean culture, who are just like normalizing the idea that there is this other country mm-hmm. with people like them who make art that they like. Yeah, it's it's a net positive. I mean, there's no negative that comes from that. Right. Um, but then, like, in the terrible fucking dystopian future that companies like Blizzard and Disney are trying to create, it's like, no, every country gets their own version where, like, the brown people are gone and, like, all yeah. the political commentary is gone and you just get your movie of, like, muscly white people punching things for three hours. Or, sorry, 245, you know, because you had to cut, like, 45 minutes of it. Mm-hmm. That's a nightmare. Yeah. That's fucking and awful. What, Disney's responsible for 80% of the, like, blockbuster hits that come out of the theaters now? Yeah. So, and, I mean, yeah, I don't need to see any of those movies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so my point is that I'm disappointed in everyone. Everyone is a disappointment to me. <laughs> because I feel you. this conversation just died on the vine, basically. And it, I don't know. I mean, I don't care that there aren't any updates that the publisher won't talk or, or the creators won't talk. It's like there needs to be other people still talking about this. Well, you know, one of the first things that fascist regimes do is get rid of the intelligentsia. You know, you can't right. have artists and free thinkers making, making things, you know. Right. And like it's a huge struggle in America right now because the president really really wants to be able to censor people he doesn't like and like it's getting really fucking real where now it's like turning into legislation that people are trying to propose and get through so they can like censor people who say things they don't like it's fucking crazy and it's just so crazy that on this example in this example from another country like there just was no discussion it was just over and people aren't like horrified by that. P- Americans aren't horrified by that when they live in a country where that is the future that the people in power want. You know, yeah. it's like connect the fucking dots. It seems so benign too. Like, I mean, I know the game has like a lot of like cultural issues it works through, but what it got quote unquote busted for is just so benign. Like calling the president Winnie the Pooh. Like. <laughs> Out of all the things you could choose to be critical of, that's the thing that you're going to throw these people in the gulag for? Yeah, exactly. But that's, I mean, that's how it is in America, too. It's like just these thin-skinned idiots are like <laughs> the ones who are trying to, you know, create this future. The point is that this is fucked. Because, <laughs> okay, the other thing, the other thing is that this game is fucking amazing. 
So the reason, right? <laughs> yeah, like that's the other big thing is that I'm just like pissed off because I think this is the best game of last year. I want everyone to play it here. I guess if I was going to give so even if you're not going to listen to the whole thing because you don't want it spoiled for you because you are going to pirate and play the game. Here's my capsule reason, like capsule <laughs> reasons why this was the best game of the year for me. Okay, number one, it's the best walking sim from a technical perspective. Mm. It's a walking sim where they basically solved all the walking sim problems. Like they went in, they tinkered, they changed things, and they came out with a game in that genre that doesn't have pretty much any of the shortcomings of like something that is really emblematic of what's wrong with the genre, like layers of fear right yeah well it, it all stems from pt clone right yeah uh pt came out came out after walking sims but pt did a thing where you don't really solve puzzles but you do sort of like weird narrative traversals i don't know uh, that doesn't even sound right coming out but like you're you're walking through story and then things happen and because it's scary, maybe the haunted house things happen, but it's it's not really puzzle solving, but it ha- always has to do with like moving through areas. That's exactly what it is. And that also ties into another reason why I think this game is so amazing, which is that it totally raises the bar for games as art. The reason I think that number one big one is that it is the best directed video game I've ever seen in my life really yes now what i mean by that is that they basically took a genre that's all about direction in terms of where do you want the player to go where do you want the player to look and how do you want the player to interact with the Mm. world they took the genre that's all about that so it's the hardest to develop and they somehow fucking aced it um (laughs) so we talk about this in one of our layers of fear episode, but a big problem in layers of fear is that it's poorly directed so that a lot of times something is happening that you're supposed to be looking at and you're like never looking at it. Mm, yeah. You know, cause it's just, it's hard to do that in a game with free look in devotion. You're pretty much always looking at what you're supposed to be looking at. Um, there's a number of ways that they did this, and I'm actually going to link this in the description of this episode, but there's a great interview that Eurogamer did with the makers of Devotion right before all this political controversy started mm. um, that's super, super good, and they talk a lot about how they made the game, but essentially they went all in on that idea of direction, so they blocked out every scene. They shot a lot of it live action for reference, and then hmm. like sort of remade it in the game. They did a ton of spatial like design and reasoning in order to make it so that the player would be moving in the way that they wanted them to move. Like they hmm. talk about how certain things in the apartments they made smaller and certain things they made bigger. So the size and scale of the apartment is really weird when compared to real life, but it feels perfect when you're playing the game. Interesting. Um, and the big thing, in my opinion, the big like genius thing they did was that they made your walking speed very, very slow. Like your right. character is slow and heavy and cumbersome, but instead of it feeling boring or annoying, it's perfect because it actually lets the game direct you much more intensely than in something like Layers of Fear, where you actually have a pretty peppy walking speed. 
Interesting. And a run button. You know, well, I, I feel like a lot of the direction is made simplified because of the um, the economy of uh, environments in this game. There's really only uh, you know a handful of environments, right? And since um, the apartment motif keeps coming back, you become familiar with it and you know where to look. And so you're kind of setting up the same shots several times. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And the combination of that and the slow walking speed means that you are going to keep setting up those same shots. You're kind of playing cameraman a bit. Exactly. And they actually said that they did a ton of play testing on the game, especially in the late stages, so they could fine tune this stuff because they mm. didn't want people to see what they didn't want them to see. <laughs> Interesting. You know, and once again, like it's just genius reading about how they did it because we talked about it a little bit. I believe it was in the last episode um, where when you have a game like this, linearity is better for the most part. Yeah. yeah. Because the more you open it up, the more you can lose the player's attention and devotion is kind of like the test case for that, where it's like the linearity is like really, really deep in the game, even though you have free look, free movement mm-hmm. it's actually pretty rare that you get the camera control taken away from you it does happen but for the most part you can look around and and do what you want but the game is just so good about directing you the environments do feel lived in also yeah. so even though you know it's a small space there's a lot to look at you know yeah and coupled with the just masterful and environmental storytelling and uh, occasionally a, a like cultural caption, like something you wouldn't see in the Western world. It may give you a caption of like its meaning as you look at it. Right. Uh, things like that, like really flesh it out and make these small environments feel, um, I don't know, just like lived in. Yeah, for sure. And that is a good lead into my third reason why I think this raises the bar for games as art, which is that they managed to do what great horror does in pretty much every other medium, (laughs) which Mm. is take a very specific and personal cultural experience and find a way to make it a larger, relatable horror experience. Mm. So, for example, you know, in movies, like, you don't have to be an American to understand american horror movies the idea is that directors take certain experiences they've had or the flavor of certain things and they make it so it's relatable to a larger audience and that's why horror is often seen as having like a lot of socio-political messaging in it right Mm. because something like jordan peele's get out couldn't have been made by a non-black person (laughs) they wouldn't understand from the inside like the experience of being black in america or like you know there's a lot of great uh women horror directors who you know make films that really espouse that idea it's like you don't you can't understand the idea of being a woman in america you know like from the inside unless you are so they're sharing their cultural experience yeah this game is fucking genius because it's a very specific you know, culturally Taiwanese experience that they managed to make very, very, very relatable and very universal. So 
Totally. You can play the game. You can get the ideas. And this is another interesting part of that Eurogamer interview where they talk about how they basically fabricated a lot of the religious, the specifics of the religious beliefs. So, yeah, so that they wouldn't be specifically like one religion that exists in Taiwan. So when people play it, they'd say, oh, it's like this. Mm. So instead, people could kind of use it as like a mirror and just say, oh, I've experienced this, you know? Yeah. And like, dude, this game, because that's what this game is about. This game is about broken homes. This game is about shitty parents. Mm -hmm. This game is about people stigmatizing mental health and not even trying on a basic level to understand people with mental illness. Mm -hmm. And it's about the oppressiveness and dangers of religion. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a couple more things I think about, um, you know, the internal battle with all three characters, the mom, dad, and the daughter with their like family roles and responsibilities and even like expectations of each person. Yeah. I guess my point is though, that all of those themes are just wildly universal. Like totally. Absolutely. Everybody understands. Like, when you play this game, you just see your own life. At least I did. I saw a hundred percent saw my own life. And even was kind of interesting reading that Eurogamer interview. They talk about the game is all set in one apartment building. It's mostly in one apartment, but you do go out, you see some of the connecting hallways, like you go up up and down stairs a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um see so you see this apartment building. And it's really interesting because they said that they based it vaguely on an apartment building that actually exists in Taiwan. That's a really popular shooting location for movies. Um, really? Because it's a very old fashioned, like Taiwanese apartment building. Mm. But what they did that was interesting. They said that they wanted to portray it more as like broken down and like lived in and like kind of, uh, you know, falling apart because that's more like the condition of what it would have been for people who actually like had to live there at that time. Right. Interesting. Because it's like, that's also the thing is that they're the family were had basically had like two celebrities who have sort of fallen on hard times and like move into a smaller apartment. It's vaguely shameful. <laughs> Right. Right. And it was really interesting because like both times I played the game, I was like, God, this really looks like the shitty little apartments that my family lived in in Lebanon. Like Mm. (laughs) it really has that look and feel. So if you're from like the old world and you've been to like your old family apartment, like it's very, very relatable. Interesting. They fucking nailed that, you know? And I, I just think it's so interesting because it's like, I'm not Taiwanese. I've never been to Taiwan. I have no connection personally like to Taiwan. But it's like you can see that they did such a good job of taking their culture, their lived experience, their cultural experience, which they also talk about in that Eurogamer interview that that really heavily influenced like the themes of the game and the aesthetics of the game and all that shit. And they just did such a good job of making it universal so you could like export it to other people and like share with them that experience. The thing is that I just don't think video games do that very much. This is just such a huge step forward for video games. I think like 
just the ability to give you those emotions and give you those experiences in a package that's like very tightly wound, very well constructed. Like I think the walking sim genre in general is good at giving you an emotional experience, but it's always very abstract. Like we were talking about this in the discord the other day. I think something that video games specifically are good at is giving you some sort of like cultural commentary or some sort of like philosophical messaging when it's wrapped up in something very absurd and ridiculous. Like Hmm. the two examples that spring to mind are Soma and near automata, right? (laughs) These sort of like apocalyptic sci-fi games that have this very deep and heavy philosophical messaging, right? Yeah. And it works because there's like this disconnect. The game isn't trying to show you real life. It's not trying to show you real people. So it's easier for you to just immerse yourself in the things that you are seeing. Mm -hmm. But devotion is just so different to me because it's so realistic that it's like, it's like magical realism in video games, which we really have not seen much if at all. Mm. And it's like just done so well, you know? Yeah. It's, it's got sort of a, um, I don't know. It, get, it really just gets under your skin. Even when it does like abstract things that you wouldn't really expect, um, like super not realism. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just has that personal, like, uh, I don't know. It just gets into your psyche. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. Another thing that I'm going to link in the show notes is a really good Reddit post that I talked about a lot in the other episode. So I'm not going to talk about a lot in this episode, but it was a Reddit post by a user named Octave Bits, uh, who is basically a Taiwanese person who decided to sort of give people a little guide to the Taiwanese cultural stuff that they're referencing in the game, or at least as much as they could recall. Mm. Okay. The big thing is that there's some important stuff to know about Taiwanese history, which we talk about all in that other episode. So I'm just going to tell you guys to go listen to that. But, um, the big thing for the themes of the game that they reference is that there's a lot of traditional superstition in Taiwanese culture, which is once again, that's another big thing. If you're from the old world, like, you know what's up. Like your grandma mm. definitely tried to like treat your injuries with some weird crap. Rub an egg on it. Yeah, definitely told you not to talk to ghosts or you're gonna go to hell or like some crazy shit, right? And like <laughs> so apparently they got that in Taiwan. All right, aces. But um this guide was actually really helpful and really interesting. Um because I think a big theme of the game, which you have highlighted here james uh is the idea of like superstitions and not just superstitions as like a rejection of modernity but also as like a cure for anything well and it's also just embedded in day-to-day life right you know it's nothing like special right it just seems to be part of it you know right when you start the game you open the door to this apartment and it's like 1980 and people are moving in um like already they have this like altar set up to um this uh a god of theater art called general tindu and it's like one of the first things that you see in the game and so like you already know these people are kind of like religious or superstitious um he's the god of theater art so they have him up because the the dad is a screenwriter uh the mom is an actress and then later on, when when the the 
baby shows up, uh, the little girl is a, a natural singer. So, um, th- you know, they have this god of theater art up to, uh, you know, show respects to that god or whatever. Um, the dad's a businessman, so they have a uh, red arowana fish in a tank, and apparently it's a really expensive fish. And it's supposed to, like, bring prosperity to your house. One thing they lean heavily in the narrative on in this game is a uh, ceremony they do when the baby's one years old called the baby grab. Uh, you put the baby on the bed with a bunch of, like, objects that would represent different careers. Like, I don't know, you'd put out, like, um, like an abacus if you want the kid to become an accountant. And you put out, like, a microphone if you want the kid to become a singer, blah, blah, blah. And so that kind of, um, you know, colors the family into thinking they should push the kid in one certain direction for their formative years. Right. Right after they move in, uh, like in the first scene, uh, the subtitles explain like a household guardian ceremony that them and their friends and family are doing for them. Um, so, yeah, there's just like layers of like cultural superstition, which is kind of just like a, a day-to-day thing going on there, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you get, you know, some of it, or a lot of it really is told through environmental storytelling. I'm sure that a bunch is still missed to the Western eye. Yeah, you know, another thing that sucks about this game getting, you know, canceled uh, was that the first time I played it, it was less jarring the second time I played it because I was expecting it. But the first time I played it, there was a lot of stuff that I walked up to and expected to get like a caption of. You know, right? Because yeah. there's so much like visual information in this game, and you get captions for certain things. And I was like, I wonder if they're going to put at least a bit more in, like with a patch later. And it mm. it, it sucks because obviously they're not working on the game anymore. I'm playing a fucking pirated copy that was like the day one version. You know? Um, yeah. There's a lot of Chinese text that just isn't translated either, which is a shame. Yeah, but it, even without it, you can see like yeah, like one of the early scenes when they're moving in, like okay, you see they have an altar, you see there's some like, you know, things around the house, and then you see that yeah, they have this like moving in kind of like a housewarming party that they do that has religious significance so like there's a little table set up with certain things and it says like oh these are significant or like there's like a mahjong game that's set up and it's like oh this is significant but then mm-hmm. as the game goes on those symbols that you see start to get weirder and scarier and darker and like more occult well the first scene of the game is um basically the dad sitting on the couch watching tv with some food in front of him on the table mm-hmm. um the wife is in the kitchen uh, just out of, uh, just out of like vis- visible range, and she's talking to him about the daughter and about how she's doing well in her singing and blah blah blah. But she's prone to sickness, and they never let her really leave the house. She misses a ton of school, and uh, she's asking the the dad to go get her or whatever. Yeah. And it's sort of like he has like a freak out moment. And then you, like, wake up in this hallway. Yeah. And that's kind of how the game starts. And I mentioned this in the other episode, but, dude, I love the beginning of this game. Like, it's really short, it's simple, it's effective, and it tells you everything you need to know about the setup. Like, yeah. that there's a family, you're the dad, There's here's some little bit of context about the kid, go. It's so mm-hmm. good, you know? Yeah, and they they tell it just so simply in like a little banal little slice of life scene. Right. Yeah, and it just gives you everything you need to know. 
For sure. And then it also introduces one of the big stylistic tropes of the game, which is, you know, walking out of your apartment, going down a hallway, walking into the same apartment, but at a different time period. Yeah. Uh, the game uh, directs you towards the calendar a lot. Mm-hmm. And it'll tell you the, exa- uh, the exact like day uh, and date and year of th- what you're looking at. Right. Um, which can really be confusing. The game is always sort of giving you hints and clues that you're moving between different time periods. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of the game, you're basically entering a time period and you explore the apartment. You're either trying to find an item or unlock something so that you can move on to the next version of the apartment yeah a lot of the puzzle solving has to do with um grabbing uh a seemingly benign item item and putting it into a meaningful location right like connecting two narrative dots really like putting a paper flower in a pot or um setting a camera up so a picture can be taken things like that right and the the things about this or the thing that makes this work really well, cause it sounds really boring when you say it like that. <laughs> I actually even thought that when I was saying it, it was like, God, this sounds boring. The thing that's cool about it is twofold. Number one, like I said, the direction is really good. So there's like really cool effects or just little flavor stuff. Like you might like hear some voices or see some cool visual effects that make it feel like what you did is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that there's always just like cool stuff going on in the background. So the game is really good at making you look at the right thing so that yeah. something cool can happen in the background or you can turn around and like see something else. Yeah. They kind of use these like creepy wooden dolls as like analogs of the family members. Right. Um, so a lot of times when you're not looking, they'll move and get into different like positions for their scene. Right. Um, that, that can throw you off guard and be kind of creepy for sure. Um, I bet those wooden dolls are a, a, another cultural reference that people didn't catch. It's also cool too, where like as much, you know, PT or layers of fear stuff as this game does, where it's like a big obvious, like you turn around and it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> like there's also a lot more like little subtle stuff. That's super cool. And just all of it's really creepy. Um, I, I like the little details of uh, the daughters on a, uh, a TV show at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, so the TV plays like a big role in the game. Right. But they even filmed, like, live-action commercials and a live-action TV show and, like, all these other things to just be playing on the background sometimes, you know? Yeah, and so apparently, this is also in that Eurogamer interview, they, like, hired a TV film crew Mm. who they had collaborated with on something in the past, and they got them to stage and film this whole, like, talent show. Uh, and eventually you see in bits and pieces, like you see the whole thing and it's crazy because it's actually based on a real show that was on in Taiwan around this time. And they, they also, apparently there's, it keeps cutting to this audience that looks like really canned and they're like always clapping really hard. Yeah. Uh, that's the developers. Oh, that's sick. (laughs) (laughs) So the developers are the audience and then they hired this like film crew who found these people like wow the game has a real respect for art too like they also collaborated with like a pretty popular taiwanese rock band no party for Dong is what it's called uh 
and like they collaborated with them on the song that plays at the end and then like they collaborated with this like film crew to make this period appropriate tv show and then they also put a lot of care into like the music that plays because there's like a song that recurs it was like a hit for the mom that the girl the daughter also sings on this Mm -hmm. tv talent show it's just super fucking cool man it's like ah it's video games can just feel like an island so much that it's so cool to see something like this that's like very multimedia and like reaching out to other art forms and being like you know oh like I want to do this or I want to do this because that's how you make art you know you don't just sit in your basement like huff your own farts <laughs> like you're like oh like we need a designer to help us with this we need a photographer to help us with this we need someone who does video to help us with this and this and this you know it's like because yeah, yeah. you're trying to make some fucking dope art you're not trying to just like finish a project you know sure yeah sorry I'm feeling real ranty today <laughs> well there's even like a little radio drama that plays sometimes when you're exploring the uh the apartment uh it 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 sort of acts as a narrative device because the person that calls in and talks about their problems is always like uh they're basically explaining the problems of the between the husband and wife Mm -hmm. but they they just turn it into essentially background noise while you're exploring and trying to solve puzzles yeah and it's super good. It's like a yeah. late night Colin show. It's got like this sort of deep voice, smooth man. And uh, <laughs> the, yeah, like the audio, okay, sidebar, the audio is incredible. Like the mixing is great. The positional audio stuff is great. And then, yeah, the little details like that. So this radio show is just like perfectly produced. It's really great. There's some really cool stuff with music later too. Like you find, uh, the wife's like one of her old records yeah and yeah you listen to it but then like you only get to hear for like a second then it pitches down and gets super creepy and then thereafter every time you go into that room like this just creepy ass music is playing that just like (laughs) immediately puts you on edge it's just so 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 good Mm. yeah and sometimes there will be like uh in different uh days there will be like a like a a typhoon coming in so you can like hear the rain and like the windows are banging while you're exploring things like that yeah it's super good and atmospheric and like there's a score but it's also like pretty limited you know it's mostly yeah. just to enhance the atmosphere uh and then there's just these larger moments where the music is very important or where the sound is very important very very good headphones game oh for sure for sure lights out headphones. <laughs> lights out headphones on you gotta do it big frosty mountain dew maybe some doritos <laughs> just settle in for the night because you know it's not a super long game either it was like four hours oh yeah maybe even less you should totally cruise this in a couple sittings yeah yeah i think the first time it was more like four hours because i got a little stuck in the middle section mm. uh this time because I knew the solution, I think it was like three hours. Yeah, um, for sure. I also didn't play it with headphones this time because I've been in the studio a lot and I just really didn't want to wear headphones in my free time. And I was a little, <laughs> yeah. I was a little sad though because like the audio is so good. So yeah, essentially, like like you said, like the family just moved into this smaller apartment. They're dealing with it. 
you, you get hints and clues about how the dad is like really um he he really worries about status a lot and how he looks to his peers and family and friends so he buys flashy things that they can't afford um he he's really over involved with keeping up with the joneses and uh the mom doesn't make uh any income anymore since she kind of like quit her dreams uh to become a mother um so she's like kind of like the balancing force in the house um this is probably another cultural thing but they put a lot of influences or a, a lot of uh pressure on the daughter um in terms of her singing because they want her to take care of the parents when she grows up and they like straight up like tell her that yeah which seems kind of fucked up to me uh welcome to my childhood (laughs) i mean dude once again if you are from any form of asian parentage this game is like trigger warning the game (laughs) like fucking hell dude it's crazy like oh like you're you have to be super successful so that you can take care of us like you have to do what we did but you have to do it better you have to be like almost like an accessory to our life so when the guests come over you have to come out and play the latest like classical piece you learned on piano or cello Mm. like all of this shit was just the way i was raised wow like it's fucked yeah there's a lot of her hiding in the closet when friends come over yeah exactly like once built again. Into the narrative that's basically what i would do is i'd go down in the basement and then it'd be like leave me alone <laughs> oh god <laughs> yeah i mean it's a huge part of my personality basically <laughs> wow uh so it's like super dark um also yeah once again the whole like so this was something that's in that reddit post about like taiwanese culture that totally is like a parallel to my life because like my parents like basically got super into like american decadence and we grew up like in a smaller muslim community that was all about that as well because like they were just keeping up with appearances yeah because there were it was in cincinnati and there were a few like very 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 extremely rich families in this community and so everybody else just wanted to like have the appearance of those people without actually like nobody had that money you know Mm. like statistically speaking (laughs) uh nobody has that money and so everyone was just sort of like locked in this like death spiral of just like blowing all, all their money on like bullshit and my parents got like super fucking into that and basically never got out of it until they were both like penniless uh yeah and so like it's really interesting in this game that like the dad gets into that sort of thing after he basically is out of work and he's just like oh like well everyone knows i'm a failure so to counteract that i'm just gonna like buy all this shit um before turning to religion which well once again there's my childhood again uh god but like yeah it's like he keeps passing the blame he can't he can't point the finger at himself like exactly but it's also interesting that there's like a cultural influence here because like taiwan and it's and it's actually very interesting in the scope of this developer's whole output because their first game detention was basically about 
the super oppressive period of Taiwanese history, um, which is that like that parallels the establishment of like communist China, you know, mm. um, yeah. whereas in Taiwan they had a similar like authoritarian period that lasted a very long time. It's like a few decades of authoritarian, very oppressive, ideologically oppressive government. Mm-hmm. That's what detention is about. Now, after they exited that period, they got into this era of like glamour, wealth, success. And and that's in the like 80s, right? Yeah. And that's like when yeah. this game is set. So it's interesting that like, for the people in this game, they were experiencing the downfall of their family as the Taiwanese economy and like pop culture and media was experiencing this huge upswing. Mm. Um, and that's like, once again, that's like my family, except in America in the nineties, which is like, you know, American prosperity and like the American dream. And like, you know, you just have to like have this appearance of wealth and success and the way that it can like totally entrap people who are mentally ill and people who are vulnerable and people who are poor, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, Cause that's like, I mean, that's my family all over, you know? Right. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. That little bit of context made once again, made this like really, really relatable to me knowing that mm-hmm. there was this thing happening in Taiwan at the time. So it's not just that the dad is like blowing money to keep up appearances with his peers and friends. He's also doing it because there's like a wider cultural context in which that's just what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, she really takes this whole having to take care of her parents thing to heart because she's like deeply concerned about her singing and she starts having just like full blown panic attacks that her parents don't understand at all. Right. So yeah, that becomes like a big contentious, contentious issue in this game is that Mei Shin starts having like legitimate uh like psychological issues but there's such a stigma on that in in Taiwan that they choose to go the superstitious route instead of uh dealing with the real issue head on right so it's like the money thing all over again but it's with his daughter's health yeah well and once again this is a hugely universal theme like a lot of people in my family were like super mentally ill and would never do anything about it. Mm. Like my grandma was like violently bipolar and nobody would ever talk about it ever. Wow. You know, or like, you know, everyone I know has similar stories about their family. It doesn't really matter what their cultural background is like. Oh yeah. It's such a thing. But especially like I remember being a kid and specifically my dad saying that like, Muslim people don't have all this stuff that American people have. Like, right. we don't, you know, we don't have depression. We don't have like autism, like whatever. I remember him saying wow. that once and me just being like, excuse me. <laughs> like, wow. When I was old enough to be like, um, dog, but it's also, <laughs> it's also interesting though, just to look at it from an American perspective, because like when I was in high school, the American way was basically just to say, this kid is acting out. Let's give them Ritalin. And sure. so yeah. I knew kids or Adderall or dude, whatever, dude, I knew kids who were on so many fucking drugs for yeah. m- wildly misdiagnosed mental y- issues, right? Like 
They totally. definitely had stuff that they needed to seek treatment and maybe medication for, but like mm-hmm. the system was just such a hallway. It was just, there's one way it's, it's give you uppers and see what happens. Yeah. Like no counseling, no, like you can go talk to a school counselor, but they're not good at their job and they don't care. Like mm. it was wild. And so like, I knew kids who were actually like shivering, kicking their drugs, cold Turkey in the library. Cause they were like, I know this isn't the right thing for me to do. And sometimes they were fucking right. Like it was yep. bananas. And it was just because like the American system was just as blind and naive, like in the sense of just telling people like, well, here's the answer. And it being just like, not the fucking answer. Absolutely. Yeah. Listening to people has always been difficult for everyone. Right. Well, and acknowledging that there's like, there are things that you need help with. There are things that can't just be fixed with like prayer or detention. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. People actually have things and, and you know, sometimes people have things that it's not even anything wrong with them. People just need to have some sort of understanding or like compassion. It's just like, what, what is going on with these kids? Like, why are they acting this way? Why are they not stimulated at school? Like, run it's like man looking back it's crazy because i hung out with all the kids like who i met either in detention or hanging out in the fucking yard or just like doing like bad kid shit yeah and like looking back at it, it's like man a lot of those kids just needed to fucking talk to someone oh yeah and probably have like one pretty mild pill they had to take a day right well, i mean you can't fix people's families either and like that's the big thing like i mean if the family is the reason why you're fucked up like you can't just like take a kid out of the family and like set them up in a motel until they're 18 you know what i mean it's tough it was tough being a teacher you know what i mean because uh you know just knowing that my fucked up kids were fucked up because of their parents like it makes you want to like like be like all right you can crash on my couch for a couple weeks (laughs) right but then there's like a million reasons you can't see that yeah exactly Well, once again, this game, that aspect of it is portrayed so well. Like, there's an unexpected sequence in this game where, well, they show you that she has, like, really bad anxiety Mm -hmm. um, because she's basically in her room trying to do her homework and she starts having a panic attack where she's clicking together two marbles and you just hear the audio of her parents fighting and she starts clicking them together faster and faster and, like, the lines and like numbers from her homework start floating around and it's just so crazy like how well they depicted being like an anxious depressed kid like listening to your parents fighting yeah totally that shit is crazy once again this game should just come with a giant fucking warning like (laughs) have you been alive on this planet earth (laughs) get ready if if the dad grabbed a gun it would have been like my childhood yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's crazy though like i i once again like i just couldn't believe you know like when you it's like when you see something in a movie and you're like wow i i truly am having a hard time understanding how well they portrayed that event or that interaction Mm -hmm. between two people it was like that in this game with that scene yeah totally so yeah i kind of am like jumping out of order here but that's fine Cause so does the game, you know, (laughs) memento. Yeah. So like the, the next time period after, you know, the sort of early years of them moving in, 
1986 followed shortly by 1985. So the game establishes that you are jumping between like these different landmarks in kind of the decline of their family, right? Mm-hmm. Cause, so this timeline I found online says that Meisha and the daughter is born in 1975. So that's also when the mother quits her career and the father decides that he's going to be like the sole breadwinner of the family. Uh, 1980 is basically five years later. Things are not going well. They're not able to sustain their lifestyle on a single income. The dad isn't actually as good as he thought. And so they move into a smaller apartment. 85 seems to be the year when they're really going hard on Mation to sing and enter singing contests. Mm-hmm. And she is good at it. Uh, but she's also fucking 10 years old, you know? So it's like, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, and so 1986 is like when I think she, if I'm understanding correctly, she like loses on this talent show. Yeah, it, it's it's a real close tie, but the end, the winner ends up winning by like one point. Yeah, so she was like, uh, you remember that guy in Jeopardy that was on there forever, Ken Jennings. Yeah, yeah Ken Jennings. She was like that, and then she <laughs> got kicked off. But the nineteen eighty that's the nineteen eighty six. The nineteen eighty five period is interesting because that's when you get a lot of the context for what their family dynamic is like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when you see Mason having. A panic attack and then that's also when they start trying to treat her mystery illness thank you for listening to zero brightness if you'd like to support us directly you can go to patreon.com zero brightness you can also find and interact with us on facebook instagram and discord all the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com We'll see you out there. Yeah, they bring her to doctors a lot, but doctors can't figure it out. And they recommend psychological treatment instead of traditional treatment. But the dad kind of scoffs at that. And then, um, you know, once it becomes really bad in 1986, he starts talking to uh, like a spiritual advisor. Or they call it uh, a mentor, mentor right. Hugh, uh, who lives upstairs from them. What's interesting about this time too? So in this time period, they're really only hinting at that last part, and it's mostly about the family dynamic. Um, there's a lot of really cool ways that they present this. So, like, there's that scene I described earlier, but there's also some like a bunch of medical imagery. Yeah, like. Cause they, they keep taking her to a hospital to try and figure out what's wrong with her. The game is heavily signposting that it's like, it's just anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but once again, they're rejecting that they don't want to accept that or even consider it. So she's in hospitals. She's forced to stay in her room. They don't let her out. You have to uh, wash your hands before you go in her room. Cause they think it's some mm-hmm. sort of viral thing. It's very, very dark. Um, and you start to see things a little bit more from her perspective, and it's just like super depressing. Uh, you find a script that yes. the dad wrote that sort of describes the family situation, uh, but with a little boy instead of a little girl. Um, and uh, it, it's sort of the same thing. Like they can't find a cure for the the, the son's problem, but 
uh, right at the end, it kind of hints that they're going to find an alternate way. Yeah. I really like that script. I think it's a super cool way to deliver that part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, come on, man, a horror game with good documents. Like, <laughs> do I need to explain why this is groundbreaking? Come on. Itchy tasty. <laughs> yeah, dude, this is definitely uh on the itchy t- tasty scale. It's definitely more tasty than itchy. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah. At the end of this segment, uh, you basically have are in this really creepy drowning scene and, uh, you wake up in a bloody bathtub in the, in like an open area between a bunch of apartments. Yeah. Talk about foreshadowing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So yeah, this is kind of like delineates between the first half and the second half of the game. Yeah. Where it becomes a little less, um, uh, well, a lot less direct. Um, you're kind of in a hub, uh, between four apartments and it's, there's like a 1980 door, an 85 door and an 86 door. And then the fourth door is locked. You can't get in. Right. So essentially you have to, you know, jump into each timeline, uh, explore, find items, try to unravel this mystery of, uh, a pot suspended from the ceiling in the kitchen. Yeah. And then uh, once you unravel that, the whole mystery, you can open that last door into sort of the climax of the narrative. Right. This part is cool because it opens up. Uh, This is the least linear part of the game. Yeah. And you can actually tackle it in different ways. uh, So you don't have to solve all the puzzles in a certain order. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know because I did it on my second playthrough. I was like, now that I know the solutions, let me try doing it all backwards. And I did. And it was really cool. (laughs) Um, because so the whole game is told out of order. It's a nonlinear narrative. Uh, and it's cool because it's really just up to you to keep all the details straight in your head and to sort of decide where your focus is, you know, like you're reading a good book that does this. Right. Mm-hmm. We had a little mini discussion of this in the discord because uh, someone liked my 2666 reference. Then we started talking about like, you know, Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon and Coin Locker Babies by Ryu Murakami. Like it's something that video games don't do a lot because video games are so concerned with just giving you a thing or giving you choices. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see something that doesn't give you a ton of choice in terms of like what you actually do, but it gives you a lot of choice in terms of where to focus your attention and, you know, what to focus on while you try and piece together the story. But yeah, so you're basically just moving in between the different apartments, trying to solve puzzles and getting details about each mm-hmm. of the different areas that you haven't seen yet. Yeah. I think one is during a storm. Uh, second is during this, like, um, like a moment or a day after you disappoint or well, since you're the dad, you're disappointed the daughter because you cancel a trip. She's been really looking forward to. Right. So there's a puzzle around that. Um, there's a puzzle around, um, setting up a camera. Um, but the solutions to all these puzzles are in different time periods. So you have to grab an item from one era and move it to the next era to solve it. Right. Um, pretty cool. It's, it's, it's nothing like difficult, like mist or anything like that deeply <laughs> intertwined, but, um, 
it, it it can take you a while, and uh, it's 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 like the most puzzly or gameplay y the game gets. Yeah, it's super cool. I really liked. I mean, I know it's a simple thing, but I like the idea of putting an item in one place, going to another place, and then knowing that it's like aged because time has moved forward. Yeah. I really yeah. like, I mean, that's kind of basic like Zelda shit, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So back in 1980, it's kind of like a more broken and fucked up version of the 1980 that you've already seen. Like mm-hmm. the place is basically trashed. There's like a hole in the wall. Uh, and similarly, you start to see the metaphorical cracks in the relationship uh like you find out that they had sold their family's ancestral home they're like super not doing good um the dad has writer's block uh and he's like really rageful he's sort of prone to violence and clearly has like a really bad effect on his daughter kind of puts in perspective some of her anxiety obviously yeah you find a newspaper clipping talking about uh, a movie that the dad wrote that like totally flopped. Yeah. People are calling it outdated writing and things like that. For sure. Yeah. And there's a cool mechanic where there's a little pegboard or like a, a little like pushpin board outside of each uh, apartment mm-hmm. that as you solve the puzzles, uh, newspaper clippings and notes show up. So you get details um it, it kind of widens the world a little bit like you see letters from family members and newspaper clippings about their careers and you sort of see that like oh like this was you're seeing the perspective of one person in this game but there is like a whole world out there it's very cool right um so in 1985 uh it's kind of yeah that's the one that's set during the storm so it's very dark and there's like the sounds of a storm And there's also a bunch of like luggage and stuff everywhere because you, the dad, canceled a vacation that you were supposed to take. It 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 talks a lot more about um, the daughter's inability to go to school regularly because she has anxiety problems, and they just keep her inside because they don't know what's wrong with her. Um, She really wants to go outside a lot, but the parents just never let her. Right. Uh, So she was really looking forward to going on this trip, and then the dad cancels it. Um, and he's like, she's like pissed at him and she won't talk to him. Right. Uh, you also start to see around the place more religious imagery and more references to religious stuff that comes into play later. Mm -hmm. You get a, you get a clipping about, uh, this, uh, snake wine myth, Mm -hmm. um, about uh, this like snake God that, um, I don't know. You get a recipe for snake wine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the coolest thing that happens in this part is that there's a section that takes place like in a storybook. It's really weird. Um, the game kind of becomes a side scroller for a few minutes. It's like a callback to detention. And it's it's crazy because it's really brightly colored and cartoony. It has the art of like a kid's storybook. It's really unexpected and it's really cool. Um, it's basically the dad reading the storybook to his daughter. And so you hear both their voices and they make changes and like draw in it as you go. Mm-hmm. So you might yeah. have to solve a puzzle, but then at the end, like something weird and unexpected will happen. Like she'll just like draw glasses on a deer or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, the dad teaches the daughter how to fold origami tulips. And she's like super into it. 
And so she slowly realizes that doing that kind of like repetitive movement, like folding tulips, like helps her with her anxiety. Yeah. So she she ends up turning like uh, she ends up like folding like tons of these things. And yeah. uh, in, in in a nice little turn, she actually turns uh, one of Dad's failed uh, writings into one of these things, and he's like deeply moved by it. Yeah, this part is super cool. It's really, really different from everything else you've seen. And it's unexpectedly sweet. Like, you see a different side of these characters. Right. Um, and it also, you know, just makes it even sadder because the rest of the game is, like, super not like this, clearly. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I really like this part. It's, it's an okay, another thing that I feel like horror games a lot of times don't do well is remembering that if you lighten things for a minute or you show a different side to what's going on you can make the horror more effective later you know Mm -hmm. like breaking it up doesn't hurt the ambience or like the the vibe that you're going for it actually helps it right well Um, and then yeah contrastingly 1986 gets kind of dark super dark (laughs) um you kind of find out that the the wife is fed up and she's gonna she's uh like writing her mom for advice on like leaving the family mm-hmm. uh, apparently it's one of those cultural situations where we she wouldn't be able to take the daughter she would have to keep the daughter with the dad yeah um so you, you read a little bit uh, um you re- you read a response letter from the mom saying like she's not very supportive of her daughter leaving this guy and that uh, they need to just figure it out between themselves blah 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 you know like super not supportive at all right and there's some cool moments in the section like there's a part where you're sort of listening through the window of her talking to her mom and like just sort of portrays you as like a real creep <laughs> yeah yeah, and I actually like it. I think it's I think it's actually sort of a cool thing, especially as the game goes on. You realize that like you're playing as maybe the bad guy in this game. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Um, eighty six is dark. Like uh, like the little girl. Um, the dad starts bringing her to see the spiritual advisor. Um, and nothing the spiritual advisor do is like helping, but no one listens to the girl when she she says that like folding the flowers helps her. Right. Um, like I think that's the most like tragic thing about all of it is that like no one listens to the kid. Yeah, exactly. And no one listens to any, any like good advice. (laughs) from the kid who is actually the most reasonable character here who's just trying to say like oh like i'm just feeling a certain way and i feel better when certain things happen or like you know i'm not like this all the time you know or things like that um Mm -hmm. yeah it's really 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 sad and once again it's this this whole section where you're going between eras like the storybook part and the part that comes out after it which is where you go back to 1980 and plant the flower and the whole place fills up with flowers mm. which is and you hear her voice talking about how it like makes her feel better it's like super beautiful uh 
And it's really, really cool because it makes the, the other stuff that you're seeing, seeing in ASICs just feel even more darker and oppressive because you know that there like could be a happy ending, but you totally know it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. So the, the parents end up getting into a big fight and like the dad like tears this fancy dress she has that she wore on her movie or something. And uh, then she leaves. Uh, and this is like shown kind of symbolically by this like creepy chase scene. Oh yeah, super creepy. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about it because I took some wrong turns the second time I played it. Yeah, and I ended up just like running down hallways forever, which is kind of annoying. But um, well, this is actually good. We should talk about some of the overtly scary stuff in the game, like the real mm-hmm. scary scary game stuff, because there is yeah. some. So this game has some traditional spooky game stuff in it (laughs) like it's got jump scares it's got chases it's got scary lady scary oh oh boy howdy does it have scary lady (laughs) so i liked this stuff in this game because you can't die sure so well yeah you can it restarts you at a checkpoint in that in that one chase scene. Just in that one chase scene. Yeah. yeah. The other stuff, though, I really like because they're just scares. Like a lady will rush at you a couple times in the game and mm-hmm. it doesn't like kill you or end your game or something. They just wanted you to know that they played PT. <laughs> well, but it is legitimately spooky, too. It is. Yeah. And like the spookiest part to me is when you're in, I think it's in 1985 in the the open-ended section where it, like that record is playing really slow and creepy mm-hmm. and like skipping and if you stay there too long the lady will come and grab you oh really yeah i didn't have that happen yeah that happened to me on my first playthrough but not on this one because i knew what to do um mm. i did try and trigger her but i guess i just wasn't in there long enough the doll people got me once real bad there's a point you walk into the the kitchen yeah and you, you uh as you walk out you turn around real quick and they're like right in your face oh yeah totally yeah that one got me well so i really like all that stuff in this game because it confirms my long-held and repeatedly espoused theory that you don't need to kill the player to deliver a good scare and that a good scare is better when it's not tied to failure because it's basically Mm. a collectible now i will grant Mm. that that chase scene is a little bit shitty because you can die. I mean, it restarts you from a checkpoint, but it's like you have to do it right. Yeah. I just feel like it would should have been more linear. Yeah. Um, it, if, yeah. If you run towards her, the game will turn you around and start you running in the right direction. Uh, but yeah, the, there's a couple hallways that you can choose. And if you go down the wrong hallway, you can just be running around in circles like a jackass for a couple minutes. Yeah. And it's not like funny or anything. They should have just made it a linear hallway. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I like that part because it's got some creepy visuals. Uh, so here's the thing. Why do they portray the woman like that, though? I guess to the protagonist, the person you're playing as, the shitty dad, I guess she would be you know, portrayed in a negative light, I guess. But that just seems weird to make her the scary ghost. I thought it was cool because at the end of it so it's like after that chase sequence it ends with a scene of her walking away like with a suitcase Mm -hmm. clearly like leaving you and she's totally normal and dressed totally normal and she's not a scary ghost 
Yeah. So I thought it was okay. cool because it's basically like a turn. Like mm. it's misdirection. They're setting it up so that all of these things are ghosts from your past, right? Like your daughter mm-hmm. is repeatedly portrayed as a scary Chucky doll, basically. And <laughs> your wife is repeatedly portrayed as a scary ghost. But in truth, later you're shown these two figures and they're neither of those things. So you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. So, I like that. yeah, I, that like, I'm kind of, I, with you initially, I was like, what is the meaning of this? And then once I, you see both figures, which you do in the course of the game mm-hmm. as like humans, you're like, oh, this is just this guy. He's a fucking asshole. Yeah. And so I actually thought it was really cool. Like, I actually really like that that scene starts with you being chased by her and ends with her running away from you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they both end in the elevator because you're like you're like running towards this elevator and you get in, but it ends up her taking off with her suitcase and getting into the elevator. And then the elevator plays a clip of her doing like an interview <laughs> after oh, she's decided yeah. to return to showbiz. Hmm. Yeah, that was brutal. Yeah, it's super brutal. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. Once again, it's direction, man. Really, really good direction and it's like stuff obviously like that's stuff from you know it's like the others you know you were the ghost all along shit like that but it's put into a microcosm so instead of it being like a big turn it's like just one little scene that Mm. has a turn really cool i liked it a lot yeah well unfortunately for our protagonists uh this is where shit gets real dark (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) once mom's out of the picture yeah, so basically with mom gone, uh, he can be as crazy as he wants to be. <laughs> and so he, yeah. the last... The place is a mess. Yeah. And well, so in that open-ended section, the last puzzle chronologically is that you finish the snake wine. Yeah. Which is basically like a mysterious sort of Chekhov's gun thing. And <laughs> there's some really cool imagery with like you walking through a cellar with a giant snake. It's very cool. Um, this part of the game is where the game gets really weird and psychedelic. Like it's all been out of order and strange, but now it's just like extra cray, and it's very cool, and I like it a lot. Yeah. So I mean, so 1987. They've been hinting at 1987 a lot to this yeah. point, but you finally play it, and just, you know the apartment's a mess. Uh, the daughter's not doing well. Um he's kind of given up on everything except for mentor Hugh upstairs. The next part of the game is him just doing mentor Hugh's treatments and trying to fix his daughter who he's now just like totally withdrawn from society. Um, the two of them are just hanging out in this scary fucking dirty apartment and it's very (laughs) fucked up. Uh, but so he's calling you're hearing this person's voice either as a disembodied voice or like over the phone and she's sort of coaching him on what to do and how to fix things but you don't really have the full context which you don't get until the end uh, mm. but the big section here is when he puts on a blind he sits at an altar and he puts on a blindfold and he essentially goes on a psychedelic psychic journey uh, in order to make an offering to this god that we've been hearing more and more about as the game goes on. And this is like the sort of dark influence of this spiritual mentor. Mm. 
Yes. I wanted to know how you felt about this part. Because it becomes... The game becomes like completely monochrome at this point. Because I guess it's supposed to be kind of representing a guy blindfolded with his eyes closed. Yeah. And sort of what he's seeing in his imagination as his like the eyeball rods and cones fire off with no information. Right. So I liked it a lot because yeah, it's really ingenious way to portray that. Like you said, like it almost feels as if your own eyes are closed just through the choice of color palette. And like, there's a weird sort of like filter over the whole thing. It, It reminds me of that scene from deadly premonition where York's blindfolded. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it kind of has that vibe where it's like a weird filter on it. You can't really see what's going on, but you're sort of just going with your instinct. It starts out really, really low contrast and hard to see. Yeah. But the farther you go, it gets clear, like sort of like more like his eyes are adjusting or something. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty abstract. Uh, you start out this place and like there's a bridge and you can see like people like burning in fire and like holding up rocks it's like hell yeah he's going into hell yeah and you see like this like cute little boat that's like representing your daughter so essentially like the the mentor is narrating to the guy going through this ritual and like she's sort of his spirit guide through his visions and you can tell that she's kind of like twisting it to what she wants him to think yeah Exactly. And as it goes on, uh, it gets weirder and darker. Like she's telling him not to look at these people who are suffering in hell and that they're Mm. not people and like all this just really strange stuff. And you end up at this altar where this really crazy, cool looking altar uh, that's like huge. And you are instructed to first (laughs) gouge out your own eye and then rip out your own tongue. And yeah, it's pretty brutal. It's super brutal. Uh, the sound effects are really disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Your controller's rumbling away and you have to enter button prompts and it's fucking gross. Oh, yeah. The quick time event of ripping your tongue out. Yeah. <laughs> Very slow, <laughs> simple, quick time event. But yeah, so you make this offering to this god, Sigu Guanyin. <laughs> And then you basically wake up and that's the end of the the segment. Um, So what I really liked about this part was that, first of all, it's very strange and abstract, but it's also very muted. Like it really feels like something that someone would close their eyes and envision. Yeah. And the narration is just really cool too. The narration is really cool. And that's the part I really liked because basically when you end this vision, you wake up in mentor Hugh's apartment and it's immediately becomes apparent via some context clues and some tapes you find that they have fled and that they were a charlatan yeah there's some very angry voicemails on those tapes it's basically a big scam that you got conned into Mm -hmm. now what i think is cool is that you already kind of know this because in the previous section the game is having this character literally just tell you what to do what to see and what to think right it's like this person isn't just a spiritual advisor they're actually controlling your behavior and telling you how to be Mm -hmm. and that's what was so interesting to me because this is also once again a real thing that's like 
very universal. Uh, I immediately thought of this crazy Libyan dude that I used to know who was a Sufi and he had a guy who he called his spiritual advisor. And this guy was convinced of the craziest shit. Like, that he could just master the world if he controlled his own energy, that he could shapeshift into a tiger, like all of this wild stuff. And I remember at some point having this conversation with one of our mutual friends, like, dude, what is up with that guy? Like, does he, <laughs> what is this guy telling him? Like, what is his spiritual advisor? Like telling He's him the lay off the animorphs, dude, <laughs> dude, it was straight up like Sufi animorphs stuff. <laughs> north african animorphs yeah it was somebody photoshopped that (laughs) but like it was just so interesting and then later in my and this is when i'm a teenager and then as the years goes by i see it more and more like people who do it with tarot readings people who do it Mm. with like a priest or an imam or you know like whatever uh people who do it with yoga instructors or whatever like yeah there are there are people who practice these things because they believe in it and they want to help people. There's people who practice these things because they're charlatans and they're scammers. And Mm. they know that if you put yourself in a place of spiritual power, you can tell someone else anything and it's acceptable. Pretty much. Yeah. And I loved how this game didn't just tell you that it wasn't just a part of the plot, but they actually portrayed that happening Sure. And it was just so fucking cool, man. Like, I've just never seen that type of commentary done in that way. Real-time manipulation brainwash simulator. Yeah, exactly. Fuck yeah. But then the really fucking sad part happens. (laughs) And it turns out that as you've gotten hints and clues and now you realize is the case, uh, you doing this weird psychedelic journey was only part of the ritual the other part was that you were supposed to take the snake wine that you made and make your daughter sit in it for up to a week. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. Which is fucking insane. And obviously, a, an 11-year-old died, like, sitting in a bathtub full of wine for a week. And uh, The child dies, everyone. Yeah, they kill the kid, which, you know, mm. in the Monica Coleslaw rating system means that this game is not fucking around. And... <laughs> This game is not fucking around, dude. Yeah. Well, at least there's like an uplifting post-rock song after the child dies. Yeah, well, so this whole end sequence is crazy. Because first of all, the way that they sort of reveal what happened to your daughter is that you're walking into or walking down the hallway to go into your apartment and it's everything slows down. So you're walking even slower. And then like you're hearing Mentor Hugh's voice telling you to put your daughter in this bathtub and saying like you talking to her on the phone and her telling you that you're doing the right thing and blah, blah blah and then you go into your apartment and you go into the bathroom and then it cuts to white and you basically have this crazy psychedelic vision of this uplifting post-rock song <laughs> and you like going through all these psychedelic landscapes but of course it ends and you're just a sad dirty man watching tv Mm, just like sobbing holding your xbox controller yeah it's fucked mouthful of mountain dew and (laughs) doritos dude it's so fucked like it's so sad and heavy and insane and like the whole game has been that way but for that to be the ending and for them to have fucking earned it too because 
It would be easy for it to just be like, oh, we killed the kid. Like, aren't you sad now? That's what Bioshock would do, (laughs) but not this game. This game fucking earned it, dude. But I don't know. I just, I was so blown away by the way this game could say all these things and present all these things in a way that I found to be really truthful and authentic and like moving in a real way, you know? I I think the only part of the ending that I have a problem with is just like is that you know it's gonna come so it doesn't have the impact that it could you know because there's just so much foreshadowing and you know exactly what's gonna happen yeah I mean there was no surprise at the end it's more just like confirmation right so yeah I, I think it might climax early you know yeah I agree with that it's also interesting they abstract a lot of the end part of the game to such a degree that a lot of people i mean dude just do a google search a lot of people are confused about what happened in this game um and i think they were doing it sort of in the spirit of silent hill so obviously i fuck with it but i could see how some people might feel yeah like the ending doesn't exactly have uh the weight that it could have because of how abstracted it is and how foreshadowed it is I guess that makes sense if you don't like, pay attention. <laughs> well, and it also has the broken narrative. So, I mean, if you're not playing it in one or two sittings, I guess it might be confusing. Yeah. But I think if you just rip through it, it all makes sense, even though the narrative is not in linear order. Right. Well, it makes sense emotionally. Like, once again, I think this game is super well-directed. So your eye is always in the right place, but it's also like you're picking up things that are important. Like, it's hard to miss the really important stuff. But then there's just Mm -hmm. a ton of details. And even, like, when we started recording this, we were, like, had to pull up a timeline and be like, wait, is this what happened? Or then? Or is this what happened? So a lot of the details kind of get smudged, but the overall narrative is is obvious in a good way. This game is, like, the most masterful horror-walking simulator. A lot of games like Edith Finch, people usually say Edith Finch is the best one of these. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's overt and overly stylized at points uh i think you know edith finch as it were as it's like at its worst is kind of like a wes anderson kind of rip you know oh totally i think you know devotion is understated and tasteful you know except for you know there's a couple of spooky parts for being spooky but at the same time like the way the broken narrative is handled and it's pacing Um, Things like that. Um, The economy of environments. Uh, It's just masterful. And it's it's not too long, not too short. All of that makes it just like a 6 out of 5 game. (laughs) No, I, I totally agree. And I just love how they managed to take this genre that is really usually full of all the things that people critique the most about games and horror games and make something that subverts all of them into something that's just way more powerful and yeah like you said when you compare it to other walking sim games it just seems so much more heavy and just so much more powerful to me because it has something to say and also that it's drawing upon these real ass experiences and for me that's what i want more out of games like in a lot of ways it's kind of like the horror version of gone home right 
Oh, totally. Gone Home was so effective because it was pulling from this very real experience, right? Mm. And this game is too, but it's much more overtly horror. It's the atmosphere is so thick. It's so like creepy. And then there's really good scares. And the game is short enough that it only needs like three or four good scares to sustain it. Sure. Yeah. Also, yeah, come on. Three to four hour game. I already said that's the best. Like, come on. That's yeah. the best. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. Get some Mountain Dew gamers. <laughs> Fucking have a, have a seat. Yeah. I don't know. You know, you might only get through a couple. Game's over, dude. This episode was brought to you by Mountain Dew Company. Oh my god, no. And Dorito Taco Locos or something. Jesus Christ, no. We're in it for the art, guys. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know. I I just want people to play this game. I want people to talk about this game. This is important shit. And like... You gotta pirate it. You gotta pirate it. If you don't know how to pirate, just ask a friendly pirate. Ask a friendly pirate. Jump in the Discord. Someone will help you. There's a website called the Pirate Bay. (laughs) Just Google Devotion Codex. (laughs) Don't click the weird-looking buttons. Click the right button to download it. Yeah, for sure. Close those pop-ups, you know? Yeah, exactly. Just play it. Just play it already. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I guess it's time for Game Club. The old Game Club. Uh, Howdy, y'all. Howdy. We're going to the rodeo next, right? Yeah. Part three. <laughs> this one, Man, we kind of laid off on the whole Indie Horror Rodeo thing for a while. And now we did two back-to-back. Well, not really back-to-back, but like within five episodes of each other. Yeah. It's wild. Wow. It's a new era. Dude unbelievable stuff you'd have to see it to believe it but we're playing paratropic and uh claire yeah not claire's (laughs) these these games have nothing to do with each other at all yes and claire has nothing to do with taking your sister to get her ears pierced (laughs) so yes if, if you never had that experience this is that simulator yeah well, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah. And what are we doing after that? Is that all we have on the books? Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, very sick. Very sick. Bye, everyone.